0: girlfriends episode number 13 easy ways to improve your marriage hello and welcome to girlfriends i'm danielle bean i'm a wife and a mom and i'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace balance and joy in family living So what are we waiting for? Let's get started. Hey, girlfriends, how are you? Happy Easter. Feels good to say that, doesn't it? After 40 plus long days of Lent, however your Lent went, I hope you're enjoying a joyous Easter. I'm recording this on Easter Monday after the whole weekend and the long Holy Week However your Holy Week went and however your Lent went, you know, the one thing that I always find consolation in, because, you know, we end up feeling a little disappointed in ourselves sometimes when it comes to the end of Lent. We had goals that we haven't met, or, you know, you think back to Ash Wednesday and all those lofty ideals you had, and then you come up short. But I always find that during Holy Week, it's very consoling to me to reflect on Jesus's mercy, especially during this time of year when we're we're heading up toward the Divine Mercy Sunday, and this week after the Easter Sunday celebration, which is just so full of God's love and mercy, and the fact that we don't earn it anyway, that whatever Lent you planned, you weren't going to earn Jesus's mercy. So there's no reason to feel like you can't fully enjoy Easter and um, just you know give give thanks for God's blessings and all of the love that He showers us all with, especially during this beautiful season of Easter, which lasts for fifty days. That's how good Mother Church is. She makes us suffer for forty, but then we get to feast and enjoy the beauty of Easter for fifty days. That can also be consoling to you if you didn't. Quite get to all those Easter crafts and activities that you were hoping to uh, during the weekend. You know, sometimes we feel like we have to fit in all the the egg coloring and the Easter egg crafting and whatnot into the weekend of Easter, which is crazy because, especially if you're trying to observe the Triduum, if you're trying to go to mass for Holy Thursday or um, get to the veneration of the cross on Good Friday, or you know. That All these different activities are all jam-packed into Easter weekend. Did you go to the vigil? I mean, that alone is exhausting enough. In our parish, it's a beautiful, beautiful liturgy, and I wouldn't miss it for the world, but it's also exhausting. And, you know, we spent over three hours sitting in the pew with little kids trapped with sources of fire at various times, and that's just a very stressful thing to go through, Um, you know. But at the same time, it's a beautiful thing to go through. So if you didn't get to decorating the eggs or doing the egg hunt or whatever Easter craft or recipe that you wanted to try out, you've got 50 days to do it. So let's not forget that. Don't feel like you, you're you coming up short somehow because you weren't able to cram everything into this past weekend, which is uniquely exhausting. So relax. Let's enjoy Easter. I hope you'll let me know how your Easter celebrations have gone. I've seen a lot of people's pictures on Facebook and Instagram, and I just love looking at all the different traditions and all the different ways that people are celebrating Easter, celebrating God's mercy and love, celebrating our new life in Christ. It's a beautiful thing to witness. One of my personal traditions that, yes, I did hold up this year was eating those robin's eggs those Whopper eggs, you know, the malted chocolate, eating those while I put together my children's Easter baskets until I am positively sick. (laughs) It's a tradition. I have to do it, right? Um, Yeah, those are my favorite. And I only ever eat them this time of year. And I always abuse them this time of year. It's a terrible thing. I mean, why? Why? Why do I have to eat so many of them? Tell me what your favorite Easter candy is because I love how people have really strong opinions about this. Years ago, back when I was blogging, I used to every Easter put out a question, you know, what's your, what's your favorite candy? And people had really strong opinions that they really wanted to share about what the best Easter candy was. And you know, if you haven't bought any Easter candy or if you ran out already, This is a great time to pick some up. It's probably about 75% off and it's every bit as good as the stuff you would have bought last week. So keep that in mind. Let's find joy and consolation in discounted candy as well as God's mercy and love. But speaking of mercy and love, we need that in marriage, and I'm going to be talking about marriage today. Um, I've been hearing from some readers, you know, I've been asking for your feedback, what kinds of topics you'd like. Many people have asked me for marriage content, which is something very close to my heart. I definitely want to do it. I'm probably going to do multiple podcasts on marriage, um, probably not all in a row, but I thought we could get started today. I could just share some some easy ways that everyone can improve their marriage, because that's what we all want, you know? I think we're always talking about, yeah, i want I want more marriage content. I want I want to you just what we're looking to do is strengthen our relationships. And if you are married, this is the most important relationship you have here on earth is with your spouse. So it isn't important that we talk about it. First of all, it's important that we talk about it in a way that recognizes that it's really hard that marriage is extremely difficult. You know, I used to think that happy couples didn't have to work on their marriages. Like love is easy. If you're in love, everything's great. Right. I was so naive. Um, you know, I've come to realize myself through my own experience and through people sharing their experiences with me, that the happiest couples are those ones that make their marriage a priority and that are committed to improving their relationship. Even when it's hard, they're committed to the relationship Outside of you know the details of how they happen to be communicating on any given day, or how they're feeling about each other on any given day, it's not about feelings. it's about that commitment. I once heard somebody say, and I think it was a Hollywood actor I really honestly can't remember who it was. I know I was surprised by the source of this little bit of truth, but I once heard somebody say that if you go into marriage thinking that divorce is a possibility, you're going to get divorced. And I think that is so true. It is so right because it's all about that attitude from the beginning of your relationship. How are you approaching this relationship? Are you you saying together forever unless I don't feel good about it at some point or together forever unless it gets hard together forever unless I feel like I fall out of love or you don't make me happy anymore um, You know, one caveat, I want to say if if you have experienced a failed marriage, this, is, this podcast is in no way a judgment of you. Human beings fail in a thousand ways and a thousand different things can happen inside of our marriages, some of which are not our fault at all. Uh, I'm hoping that this podcast can be a, a positive way of approaching marriage, a positive way of looking at some ways that we can improve our marriages. So let's get to those. The first one I want to talk about is giving up negativity. Now, this is a habit, I think, that all of us can fall into. You know, we're very comfortable with our spouses, of course, if you've been married for any amount of time. And so we kind of tend to vent to our husbands, I think, and our husbands tend to vent to us. I know at least this happens inside of my marriage with Dan, that... Sometimes we fall into this habit of when we get together, it's all about negativity, not necessarily aimed at each other. For sure, that's a destructive force if you are expressing negativity towards your spouse on a regular basis. But even just negativity about your work or about the kids or about your friendships or about your mother-in-law or any number of things, just that kind of griping. I I found that at certain times in our marriage, I've really had to kind of do a a pullback and say, oh my gosh, every time we talk... It's just this, this you know, never-ending negative vent fest. And that's really unpleasant, not not only for you, but also for your husband. Of course, there's a place for venting inside of your marriage. You know, this is a, a vital relationship. This is a place where you can let your hair down a little. This is where you can be honest with somebody and really share your your thoughts and feelings in an intimate way. But what I'm talking about is this habit of just constantly talking about negative things when you're together. And so, you know, maybe just do a a little bit of an evaluation there. Um, You know, look at the last few conversations you've had with your husband. Were they all negative? Was there a lot of complaining and griping in there? Because think about it. Nobody likes to be around a negative person. It's very unpleasant to have those kinds of interactions. And we have the power to change the things that we're talking about, that if you tend to just gripe or complain or or focus on the negative when you're with your husband, make a conscious effort to focus on something positive. Give yourselves a conversation starter or, you know, um, watch a positive news story together and talk about it or make a positive plan for something your family can do together. There are lots of different ways that you can kind of replace a negative habit with a positive one. And just I, I just want to encourage you to examine the kinds of conversations that you tend to have with your husband and examine what your motivations are inside of those conversations and just maybe make one little move toward um, making them more positive, talking about things that are, are more uplifting and could be a, a mood booster instead of a, a real drag. The second way that I want to talk about is being active together. Like, think about what you and your husband tend to do. If you have kids, when you, when you get the kids down for the evening or any time that you happen to have downtime together, what do you do? I mean, do you sit in a room silently watching television together? Do you each have your own screen in front of you? Do you maybe even retreat to separate areas of your home and pursue individual projects separate from each other? Now, there's nothing wrong with watching television, and there's nothing wrong with having your own projects. But one way that couples can really bond, I have found in my own marriage, is that is that idea of having a common goal. Doing something together. It doesn't even matter what it is. You know, we've done lots of things together. Dan and I over the years, we used to really look forward to putting the kids down to bed so we could do our thing, whatever it was. And, um, I, I try to make sure we always had a thing that we were working on. It doesn't have to be something fancy. Sometimes it would be, it would be watching a movie together. That's fine. But sometimes it would be something more active, like, uh, planning your garden together or, uh, planning a family trip. Or a home improvement project, or making a meal together. Just something positive you can do together. Some of the most fun that I've had with my husband. Now my husband's really handy. He built our house. He, you know, any any kind of project around the house, if he doesn't know how to do it, he will teach himself to do it and then accomplish it. So I really admire that about Dan, but that's not a gift that I have. But in doing different home improvement projects, there's always some way in which I can participate that, you know, if he builds a cabinet, I can paint it, you know, or I can offer my opinion about the, the hardware that we're going to use or whatever it is that, you know, it doesn't have to be that you're both doing exactly the same thing, but just that you're actively involved in a project together. It might be physical fitness that you enjoy, or it might be going for a walk if you don't want to, you know, have some hardcore, hardcore fitness goals in mind that, Just having a common goal, something that you're trying to accomplish together, even something small or even something big. If you break up a big project into smaller steps, it just naturally is bonding. You naturally become part of the same team. And I think that's really relationship building. So I want you to try to experiment with that. Another easy way, not easy, simple way. Okay, not easy, difficult, not easy way to improve your marriage is to do more than your share. Yeah, I'm talking about household jobs, chores, stuff around the house, the stuff that you gripe about and fight about. Now, I'm just going to touch on this briefly because you know what? I'm going to do a whole podcast about this. This is so huge. This is a huge topic that people write to me about all the time. From way back when, when I used to have a family column in the National Catholic Register, somehow people thought that made me an expert in all things to do with family life. And they would write to me and ask me questions about, um, how they should split up their household chores between themselves and their husbands. Like I said, I'm going to do a whole podcast about this because um, there is no one right way to do that, but I do have some thoughts that I want to share with you on that topic. But for now, I'm just going to encourage you to focus less on how little your spouse is doing and how much you're doing, and then just do more than what feels like your share around the household. Now, I know this is incredibly hard. It's really hard to do that. It's really hard to shift your focus away from the unfairness of any given situation inside of your relationship. But in my experience, there's nothing more relationship building and peace giving to your home, to your marriage, to your family, to yourself than to let go of trying to keep score about who does what and trying to make it all come out even all the time and make sure you're never doing more than your share. Try to do more than your share. Shift your focus. Offer it up to Jesus if everything is absolutely, positively, so unfair to you inside of your split of household duties. Offer it up and do more than what's your share. Now, I'm not saying be a martyr and slave your way through things and whatnot. I'm saying shift your focus. If you're focused on making sure everything always comes out perfectly, even everything's 50-50, you're focused on the wrong things. You need to be focused more on the idea of self-giving love and doing more than what feels like your share out of love, out of a spirit of generosity, and recognizing, reminding yourself that we notice the work we do a lot more than we notice other people's contributions and sacrifices. That's just human nature. So, tell yourself, you know what? I'm missing a hundred things that he's doing that I'm not doing that I'm taking for granted, and I'm noticing all these little nitty-gritty details about what I'm doing that he's taking for granted and not noticing. So I'm going to encourage you to just let go of that destructive attitude of just lining everything up and keeping score. It's so destructive. It's such a powerful way that the devil can get inside of that vital relationship between you and your husband and tear you apart. Now, the next way I want to talk about that you can strengthen and improve your marriage is prayer. Now, some people feel funny about praying with their husband, or their husband feels funny about praying with you, or your husband doesn't share your faith. So couple prayer is great, and that can be a goal for you, but I don't want you to feel like your marriage is going to come up short if you're, if you're not doing that right now, if that's not a regular part of your married life, praying together with your husband for sure It's a powerful way that you can grow inside of your marriage and share a new level of spiritual intimacy, and I encourage you to do it. But if you're far away from that goal right now, you still can use the power of prayer to improve your marriage by praying for your husband, by praying for him, praying and offering things up for him. It doesn't have to be really complicated. You don't have to be on your knees saying a rosary for your husband's intentions every day. But, you know, we're supposed to get our spouse to heaven. That's our number 1 job. Inside of the sacrament, inside of the vocation of marriage is to get your spouse to heaven. When I was newly married, I had all these romantic notions about what that meant and I I thought it meant like holding hands and and praying your way to heaven together in this beautiful positive way. I didn't realize that the whole get your spouse to heaven thing was about offering up stuff and suffering and difficulty and trials and challenges and and times when you really would use the word divorce if it were part of your vocabulary, if you allowed your mind and your heart to go there, you would use that word. You would make those plans for your life. It's so hard sometimes inside of our marriage that we don't even want to share openly about it. And yet those are such beautiful, potentially fruitful opportunities for offering up inside of your marriage. So when I'm talking about prayer, it doesn't mean you have to, you know, I mean, it's easy and it's it's nice if you can make a habit of, you know, um, whenever I, you know, do whatever household task, it just reminds me, okay, say a Hail Mary for my husband or something along that those lines or, you know, making uh, an effort to pray for your husband when he leaves for work or when you're driving to work, you know, setting aside a certain time where you focus on really, you know, praying for your husband, praying for your marriage. But besides that, an even more powerful thing in my experience is this idea of offering up. There's so many opportunities for sacrifice inside of marriage. And we waste them sometimes. I know I do out of my own weakness and selfishness that I just get angry when I'm faced with these opportunities for sacrifice, especially if it's my husband's fault, at least in my mind, things that I'm suffering as a result of his own weaknesses or or ways in which I feel like he's failing me. That Those kinds of sacrifices, they happen every day inside of marriage in big ways and small ways. Those are beautiful ways that we can potentially, with an open spirit of accepting God's will, with an open spirit of accepting suffering and uniting it with Christ's suffering, that we can offer up those sacrifices in a way that will really feed our marriages. If you offer it up for your, your husband's intentions, if you offer it up for his sanctification, if you offer it up for the strengthening of your marriage, you know, you don't have to be fancy about it. You don't have to have fancy words to accomplish it. You can just say, Jesus, I'm giving this to you. Please heal my marriage. If your marriage is in need of healing, please strengthen my marriage please help me to love my husband better please help me to see my husband with your eyes and your heart sometimes i find it's very helpful to me if especially if i'm in a situation where i'm in a disagreement or an argument with my husband to Say that prayer, because sometimes it's hard to pray for somebody when you're feeling angry, when you're feeling disillusioned or feeling taken for granted or treated unfairly. It's hard to pray like, oh, please, God, bless my husband right now. It's hard to do that. I understand that. But you always can pray for the strength to see your husband the way that God sees him. It it helps to remember how much God loves each and every one of us uniquely and individually, despite our flaws and our failures and our weaknesses and the ways in which we fall down, that to remember how much God loves you first of all, but then how much he loves your husband And how, how much potential for good he sees in your husband and to just pray to see him in that way. Even if you're not in a situation where you're in conflict, you're feeling resentful of your husband. It's beautiful to say that prayer because in, I know in my marriage, it certainly has helped me to at least reset my focus. You know, I know I don't see my husband perfectly as, as God sees him and, and sees his potential, but saying that prayer kind of refocuses me on. Not so much about my own hurt feelings and the ways in which I feel like I'm not being treated fairly or that mean thing that he said or the thing he neglected to do or whatever it is. Because sometimes we get so focused on those little petty things that we forget to see the big picture, that we're meant to be our spouse's means of attaining salvation. We're meant to help them get to heaven. That's our number one job. And it's their number one job to get us to heaven, that we need to be focused there and that you can't control some parts of your marriage, because marriage is made up of two people, you can't fully control what's going to happen and what your husband's response is going to be to you and what challenges he's facing and what the results of those are going to be. But you can control your own approach to that relationship. You can control whether or not you're, you're approaching it in, in a prayerful way, whether or not you're looking for opportunities to offer up and improve your marriage through the power of prayer. Now I'm going to stop there. I have a bunch of other things I want to say and share. And I have a million notes in front of me that I didn't get to about marriage because this is such an important topic. So like I said, we're going to have future podcasts on this. I'm definitely going to be taking up the topic of splitting up household tasks. But for now, those are the points that I want to make here, the ways that I want to share the simple ways, maybe not easy, but the simple ways that you can work on improving your marriage. So the ones we talked about today are giving up negativity, being active together, doing more than your share, and praying together with your husband and for your husband and that spirit of offering up. I'd love to hear your thoughts about marriage. If you have anything you want to share about what we've talked about here today, or if you have something that we didn't talk about that you're dying for me to talk about with regard to marriage, share it with me. Um, you know, contact me at Danielle at Daniellebean.com. go to Daniellebean.com and click leave voice feedback. You can leave me a voicemail so that I can bring your voice onto the podcast. I'd love to hear from you and know what you want to hear more about with regard to marriage. Hey girlfriends, who are we talking to this week? It's time for an interview. So this week, I had the opportunity to talk with Jeannie Ewing, who is a dear lady with a sweet, beautiful personality who shares beautifully online and in an upcoming book about raising her daughters with special needs. Take a listen. Hey, everyone, I am happy to be welcoming a special guest here at Girlfriends today. Joining me is Jeannie Ewing. Jeannie is a special mom. She shares from her heart as a mom of two girls with special needs in Navigating Deep Waters, Meditations for Caregivers. And she's the author of From Grief to Grace, The Journey from Tragedy to Triumph. Jeannie was featured on National Public Radio's Weekend Edition and dozens of other radio programs and podcasts. For more information, you can visit her websites, which are lovealonecreates.com and From Grief to Grace, the number two, fromgrieftograce.com. Hi, Jeannie. Welcome to Girlfriends. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Hi, Danielle. Yeah, I'm glad to be here.
0: I'm so happy that um, we we were able to make this connection because you are such a special voice for moms of children with special needs. And so many moms out there have various experiences with special needs. And there's just such a real need for support and encouragement from all different perspectives inside of that community.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, when my daughter Sarah was born, she's our youngest, with a rare disease I really felt like I was hanging on a limb because mm-hmm. there was really nothing in my community that really wedded our Catholic faith with understanding special needs. Mm-hmm. It was either or. Like right. I could connect with people that were in the craniofacial community for Sarah, but there was no faith basis. And then, of course, we have really good Catholic friends that go to our parish. We have a really lively parish, great pastor. But they didn't necessarily understand our journey. So I think that's a big reason why I felt this call to do what I'm doing, to share, this, to share our story, to share the message that reaches other people that have kids with special needs. And also through my writing.
0: Right, right. And you share so beautifully about um, the kinds of struggles and experiences you have uniquely as a Catholic mom of kids with special needs. Before we get to the questions, because I'm sure some listeners are, are going to be curious about what exactly is going on with your kids, if you can just briefly, and of course this is impossible, but maybe just <laughs> briefly say what you've experienced with regard to special needs in your in your family life.
1: Sure. Uh, my oldest daughter Felicity is five, and she has something called sensory processing disorder, mm-hmm. which most people are familiar with it because of autism. Now, not everybody that has SPD is autistic. But everybody that's autistic has SPD, if that makes sense. So it's it's kind of – sometimes the kids have rhythmic behaviors like you see in autism. A lot of times they have aversions to certain textures, certain foods. Mm-hmm. Um, they have anxieties. Uh, those were the things, the behaviors that Felicity exhibited. She has a tactile problem, and she has a problem with balance and coordination. Okay. So that's why she receives occupational therapy. And she actually didn't even walk at all, didn't crawl actually until she was – 15 months old and didn't walk till she was 18 months and that was through rigorous weekly physical therapy. Wow. So that's an ongoing issue that we've addressed through counseling and through occupational and physical therapy. Uh-huh. Um Sarah, our youngest daughter, she's 3 as of yesterday and she Yay. Yeah. <laughs> and she um had, was born with a rare genetic condition called Apert syndrome, which is not in my family, not in my husband's family. Mm-hmm. So hers was like this genetic fluke is how it was explained. It's a craniofacial condition. So her bicoronal plates in her skull were prematurely fused. Mm-hmm. And also her hands, her like her fingers were all fused together. Like, they looked like little mittens. Oh. And her toes were. And people with Apert have, so they have to have a lot of surgeries on their skull and facial reconstruction surgeries a lot of other surgeries that have to do with separating the fingers and the toes sometimes there are other orthopedic surgeries if there are fused bones and they have a whole gamut of other issues like cardiovascular and pulmonary and sometimes behavioral and social and cognitive and they're just they're just all kinds of problems that could happen but mm-hmm. don't necessarily so i like to tell people it's kind of like a spectrum condition in that there are milder cases and there are more severe cases. Sarah looks like a typical kid with APERT, but she thankfully is cognitively, you know, she's a pretty typical little girl. She just looks Mm -hmm. different.
0: Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty epic. I mean, pretty amazing that your family has experienced special needs in two different children in such radically different ways um, that aren't related to one another. So obviously someone has a plan there and it's not us
1: yeah yeah i agree that's <laughs> well, not my plan that's no plan.
0: no and i'm sure we're going to get to that as we uh talk about these questions here so let's let's move right into the the usual questions that i ask our guests here on girlfriends um the first one i want to ask you about jeannie is can you tell us about a time when you felt like you really triumphed when did you first ever feel that you succeeded or achieved something whether it was in your work or in your personal life
1: Well, most recently, that would be when I became a published author. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a childhood dream of mine. I remember when I was old enough to write, I started journaling every day. I was a very introverted, melancholic little girl. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, a couple of close friends. But my preference after school was to hide myself in my room with my music and just ponder life's mysteries. I know that sounds strange. To me, it was normal. I thought most people did this. But, (laughs) you know, I did. I thought about things like the angels and the saints. And I, I just, I talked to God and to our lady. I just did that. So, um, I, I, so when I was a kid, I always used to kind of joke, but I was really, it really was a true dream of mine to become a published, published author. Mm -hmm. And one of my friends and I, that we had written a book together in fourth grade and we went to the young authors conference together. It was like this surreal moment in our lives. And we used to get together afterwards and, and, um, Our playtime was writing short stories and I would illustrate them. And this was during the era of Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley Twins. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, we had like this series idea of a family, a big family on a farm because it was totally opposite of our families. We came from small families and we lived in the city. So um, I don't know. I put that dream on the back burner just because I did not know about all of the different opportunities that existed at the time when I went to college. Uh For professional writing and editing, things like that. It was a subject I enjoyed and that I excelled at. But I chose to go into psychology and then I became a counselor. And once we started having children, my husband and I both wanted me to stay home with them. Yeah. Which I'm really happy about. I feel very good about that. Mm -hmm. But then, I don't know, it it was just something that God resurrected after Sarah was born. I, I never stopped writing all those years. It's just that it was never public. So I started doing um, blogging on Catholic Mom and um, other other sites, other Catholic sites I did just to get my name out there, to get some credibility, and just really built up to now I have a book coming out from Sophia in May. So, That's so
0: exciting. Yeah, tell, tell us again, what's the title of that?
1: From Grief to Grace, The Journey from Tragedy to Triumph.
0: Okay, and um, if there, you know, you can go to the show notes um people and I'll have linked up the more information about that book. So we're all looking forward to reading that come springtime. That's exciting. And, yeah. and you know, I love that you're, you're sharing about a, a professional triumph in that way that goes back to your childhood, because um, I think so many of us, especially if we're moms of, ki- of many kids or moms of kids with special needs, that that's such an overwhelming, all consuming task that it's, it's tempting to kind of lose yourself in that, oh yeah, and but but, I love that your story is is going back to your roots and a dream that you've always had, and how that's being realized, even in the middle of your your very busy life right now as you you know as a mom to these young girls.
1: It was kind of like my heart was breaking when I had Sarah. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had never felt in my life. It was this very dark place. I didn't know how to navigate. The emotional trauma, the the physical distress and exhaustion, the spiritual darkness, I just had no clue where to start. And writing was a, a gift. It's a spiritual charism that I have, and it's a natural talent. And so that was the avenue that God chose to help me and also help others, I think. I mean, I feel that that's it's kind of been mutually beneficial to me as I write. It's very cathartic and very um, healing for me. Mm-hmm. And and other people have told me, you know, that I speak to them as well. So
0: yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And we're so glad that you're using that gift. So looking forward to that book. Um, but in the meantime, people can check out um your websites. So grief from grief to dot com. Um, All right. So let's move on to the next topic, which is always a juicier topic because we talk about (laughs) mistakes next. Um, Jeannie, can you share with us about a time, a mistake that you once made? It could be professionally. It could be personally. And what did you learn from that mistake?
1: Yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to say with this one. Oh, good. So when I was a school counselor, I was a high school guidance counselor. This was when I was a newlywed. I was so excited because I had gotten my master's degree and I graduated magna cum laude and, you know, I was just on the top of the world professionally. Uh-huh. Well, being a novice counselor in a school that I was unfamiliar with and it was culturally very different from where I grew up and where I was trained, I kind of just started my job with this gusto and and the other administrators were very skeptical of that. They wanted me to kind of, I think, observe for a while before I started my agenda and implementing the plan, these awesome ideas I thought that I had for Uh the students. And what eventually happened was some of, I was a part-time counselor and there were some, I have no idea who they are, unnamed personnel that worked at the school, staff, um, faculty, I have no idea who they were. Uh And they started telling my principal that I had students in my office that were, I was taking students out of uh, core classes like English or math or science instead of the arts or um, study hall or something or period, mm-hmm. which was not what I was trying to do. I didn't call them out of those classes. They would come down sometimes. And I would send them back. But I just had a... There was a really long laundry list that I received from my principal of all these things that people were saying I was doing or not doing. And I felt like they were talking about something somebody else because most of them were grossly exaggerated or entirely untrue. Mm -hmm. And I did not... I was, you know, 25 years old, something like that, 26. I did not really know how to handle that appropriately. So my response, because I have this strong sense of justice and truth. And so this was unjust and untrue to me. And instead of really um, stepping back and praying about this and letting God handle it, I just immediately responded with defensiveness, with anger to my principal. Mm-hmm. And actually, we had to have mediation and everything. Oh, my gosh. I, a, not a lot of people know this about me, actually. Yeah. this is You know, people that are close to me know it, but I don't right. talk about it a lot. This is something I've thought about, though, as the years have gone by and, you know, life is so different for me now. I'm in a very different place. Mm-hmm. And I do wish that I had handled that differently. Not that I think I did anything wrong in my job because I did go over that. I poured over that. I ruminated over it. And I really do believe I did the best job. And I always prayed before I went to work. However, handling this situation, I did not do that with virtue. And right. I, I really regret that. I wish I could go back and... Um, you know just try it a little bit more maturely and sure. calmly sure
0: sure and you know that makes a lot of sense to me and and i think we all have experiences like that especially in our young adulthood where some things you can only learn by experiencing them and doing them wrongly, you know? I, I know that I've experienced that. I'm having a heck of a time now as a mom of young adult children watching them do similar things and wanting to step in and say, oh, no, 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 no. But of course, there are many things that we can only learn by experiencing them as you did and the consequences of that. And then even years later, being able to look back on it with a little bit of a different perspective saying, oh, you know what? That, that felt right at the time, but perhaps that wasn't the best response. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, I think that's a beautiful way that we learn, and it's very humbling. Um, and, you know, I think we do a lot of that learning when we're young, but it's something that we do keep up throughout our lifetimes. But I think we're especially vulnerable to it when we have very little experience and about a thousand pounds of confidence when yes, when exactly. you're in those twenties. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: And I had, and I can't say I'm really a, a humble person anyway, but God really did humble me in that because mm-hmm. I came home and I was yelling and just like a screaming, like a fishwife at my husband. It was terrible. <laughs> and I, of course I didn't have children at the time. And my poor little dog she, she was so upset because I was yelling so loudly that she threw up. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. So this was like a reality check for me, Daniel. Yeah, sure. Honest, I had to really take a step back and look at my anger as a real problem, a sinful problem.
0: hmm And
1: yeah. that's something I've been working on ever since then for years. I've been trying to, you know, unravel these layers through confession and spiritual direction of the source of my anger and channeling appropriately, you know, um, when, when righteous anger does happen, how do I express that virtuously? Mm-hmm. And that's really hard for me. That's totally against my nature. So.
0: Sure, sure. Well, and I think we all do need to come to terms with how do we express anger? We all experience anger in our lives. We all experience injustice. And so learning appropriate ways of expressing that or handling that when life hits you in the face with it, those are real growing up lessons and, and ones that I'm not sure I've mastered yet myself. Mm. Yeah, so important. But we need to master them. We need to yeah. at least have some experience with them, especially as yeah. I'm watching my kids. So, um, <laughs> yeah, at least when I was that age and so foolhardy, I wasn't on Facebook. There wasn't any no. Facebook. So,
1: yeah, we didn't have any of this stuff either till I was out of college. Right. Social media and texting. I didn't. I remember getting my first text. I was like, "What is this? How does this work?"
0: Mm-hmm. So I, I know. feel like a
1: dinosaur, you know, with all these millennials that are growing up with. They don't know any differently.
0: They don't know anything but an immediate expression of whatever they're feeling. Exactly. Exactly. Really challenging, really challenging in in today's parenting world, but especially challenging for those young people themselves. I really, (laughs) I feel for them. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, let's just quickly, if you can, share what's the best advice you've ever received from anybody and how do you try to implement it in your life?
1: It sounds cliched, but after I had my, my first child, my mom told me, Well, there are two things she said in the same kind of conversation. First, Mm -hmm. she said, you're going to have to let go of what you can't control, Jeannie. And I'm a control freak. I'm a perfectionist. And I was, before, you know, before children, I was always straightening up the house, making sure it was clean and no dust and... Um, You know, now, especially having kids with special needs and we're in and out a lot and rest is really important, making sure we're getting enough sleep and proper nutrition and Mm -hmm. exercise and quiet. Well, I just don't – I have to let some things go. Like, honestly, I don't vacuum my house. I don't dust. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I know that probably sounds terrible to some moms, but I just have to prioritize what's more important, my kids' souls or the fact that there's – on
0: the carpet a little bit of dust
1: like yeah like a month ago so I mean it's embarrassing to admit that but when I have said that to some other moms they kind of breathe a sigh of relief and say oh good I'm glad I'm not the only one that's not a great housekeeper now that right. being said I do I am tidy it's not mm-hmm. like we have a hoarding issue or anything in my house but <laughs> but you know cl- cleaning actually making sure everything's spotless nope that's that's one thing I've let go and that was because my mom encouraged me in that which was really tough and another thing she said in that statement was. It was during Advent when I had our oldest daughter, and I said to my mom, oh, I feel so badly because I'm not doing all these normal things that I w- would do during Advent, mm-hmm. almost like during Lent, right? I wasn't really adding anything um, in terms of prayer and, or, or development for my interior life. I wasn't doing increased almsgiving. I feel like I wasn't really going out there and doing these works of mercy like I normally would have been doing. And my mom said, Jeannie, you are living Advent now.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: As a mom. And yeah, it really hit home to me because I thought she's right. And it really actually she said when she said that to me, I pondered that that journey that Our Lady took being pregnant with Jesus for the first time in my life in a very profound way. I actually felt like I was in that time period with her and when walking with her or that rather that she was walking with me.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful.
1: Yeah. So those were those were kind of. Those two pieces of advice coincided in the same conversation, but I've taken them well, They to kind heart. of
0: go together. They do, yeah, because yeah. you know the same could apply to your life that you could feel bad about not doing X, Y, or Z, like you assume all the other moms are. But you're you're living that motherhood. You're living that every day, and yeah. um, deciding what to cross off your list so important. And the funny thing about housework is, I find that it waits for you. You know, cause there are times when I'm putting off something that's really grossing me out, whether it's like a a bathtub that really needs to be scrubbed or whatever. And then by the time I finally get to it, I was like, huh, I mean, it's just as clean now after I did it as it would have been if I did it a week ago. You yes, know? Exactly. Like, it's easy to get to that spot. So when you find the time and you make the time and you decide your priorities are straight and yes, I do have the time to scrub out this bathtub right now or whatever it is. You're just going to get back to square one, just like you would have if you've done it before. And just like you're going to do 100 times before you die. So I think that's a very beautiful perspective from your mom. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay, well, we've got enough time here for our lightning round. We're, We're just going to ask you 60 seconds of some quick, fun questions that I'm going to ask you Jeannie to just answer quickly and we'll move right on to the next one. And you know, what, what goes, goes the Holy Spirit's in charge here at girlfriends. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Jeannie Ewing, her lightning round here on girlfriends. Here we go. All right, Jeannie, if it's mommy time and you have a little time to yourself, what's your favorite snack time treat? Chocolate. Oh, of course me too. (laughs) All right. What's one thing that surprised you most about being a mom to kids with special needs?
1: the amount of work involved.
0: Mhm. Epic work. Okay. Yeah. Um what was the last movie you saw and was it thumbs up or thumbs down?
1: You know what? It was called The Runaways. It was about Joan Jett's early band.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Love it. Joan Jett. It was
1: I would say in between a thumbs up and a thumbs down. I like hearing and learning about rock, but yet it had a lot of lewd and crude and okay
0: sexual
1: and bad all right language. but still Just a like, good story Whoa, this was scandalous it was scandalous
0: <laughs> all right coffee or tea tea twitter or facebook twitter all right and years from now saint genie ewing will be the patron saint of what special needs kids. Of course. Oh, and so many will be praying to you. (laughs) Great job. You did it. That was 60 seconds. And um, that was some fun, some fun answers that we got there. And, um, you know, before we have to say goodbye here, Jeannie, maybe can you just give a shout out to something that you're working on or project, whether it's personal or professional, um, just something that you're excited about what's going on in your world?
1: I'm excited because I'm working with Um, another publishing company for a new book idea. Nice. And I'm also working on a devotional that I'm writing.
0: Oh, wonderful. Well, I can't wait to hear all about it. So people can check you out at lovealonecreates.com from grief, the number two Grace from Grief com, so they can go there and I'll link up everything in the show notes for people. Jeannie, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me here on Girlfriends, but even more importantly, thank you for all that you do for moms of children with special needs and for the great example that you set for all of us as a mom giving her all to her two young girls.
1: Well, you're kind. I want to thank you for all that you do. I mean, be having so many kiddos and then all the work that you do, the awesome work for um, Catholic writers and it's just its I appreciate you taking the time too Daniel. Oh, sure. it means a lot
0: great, well we were happy to have you here Jeannie and now you're officially one of our girlfriends so all right. welcome to the club <laughs> thanks <laughs> thank you and God bless you and all that you do Jeannie thanks you for coming too all right, bye Isn't Jeannie great? If you're a mom of a child with special needs or if you know of somebody who has a need of those resources, you will want to check out all that Jeannie offers. Her information week show notes at dan- Danielbean.com. Okay, well, it's time for our weekly girlfriend shout out. And this week's shout out is going to go to Claire. Claire emailed me about a week ago. And she wrote, Hi, Danielle. Thanks for your podcast. I really enjoyed listening during my daily walks. I just have two kids, but I've been working on our daily routines. Okay, let me stop you right there, Claire. Interrupt, pause. Don't say I just have two kids. It breaks my heart to hear moms apologetically talk about the number of children they have. And maybe you don't mean it this way, but I just feel the need to take that word just out of your vocabulary when you're talking about your family life. You have two kids. I happen to know from my own experience that no matter what number of children you have, you are maxed out. That whatever number of kids you happen to have, you are maxed out at that moment. That's what motherhood is like. That's what it is. So please don't say I just have two kids. Anyway. Okay, getting back to the email that I received from Claire. She says, if I don't stick to a schedule, I find I spend my days in a lazy way, doing whatever is easiest and avoiding my work. So it really takes effort sometimes to stick to a routine with meals, housework, playing with the kids, etc. This Lent, I have made a real effort to be faithful to my daily duties. And while I have not been perfect, I think I've improved and I feel good about that. I'd love to know more about how other women handle this issue. Could you maybe talk sometime on the show about sticking to a daily routine and how that works for you? or for others. Thanks for all you do, Claire. Well, Claire, I'm proud of you. I think it's really takes a lot of effort and maturity to kind of examine our lives in the way that it sounds like you did for this Lent and focus on something that might be painful to work on and really kind of intervene in our own lives in that way. And certainly daily routines are a challenge for all of us. And I will take that up on a future podcast. We talked a little bit about, uh, daily routines and schedules in a previous podcast about doing it all. So um, I can link that up in the show notes, but definitely it's a topic that I'll be taking up in the future. And I would welcome other people's feedback on that topic about managing your daily schedule and and how, how you do that and what that looks like for you. But in the meantime, Claire, you've worked hard And it's been a good Lent for you. You've made effort in an area that's important, and we appreciate that. And we want to encourage and affirm that good work that you've done this Lent. So this week's shout-out is for you. Way to go. You are my hero. This shout-out's for you, girlfriend. So what did you work on this Lent? What have you accomplished that we can encourage you in doing in your life? Email me, danielle at daniellebean.com or leave me some voicemail feedback so that we can give you a shout out and encourage you in all the good things that you're doing every day.
1: Listen up, girlfriends. It's time for the weekly challenge. We got this.
0: Well, this week we're talking about marriage. So this week's challenge is to think about the ways of improving your marriage that we talked about here at the beginning of the show. Those were giving up negativity, be active together, do more than your share, and using the power of prayer. So Give some time to think about those and pick one to focus on. Maybe whatever one spoke to you the most as we talked about it as something that you might need to work on. And then be more aware of it in the coming week. Make a real plan to focus on improving your marriage in that one way during the coming week. And then share with me your thoughts about how it goes. Okay? That's easy, right? And while you're sending me that email or leaving me that voice feedback at daniellebean.com, let me know, like Claire did about topics that are on your mind and things that you'd like to hear about on future episodes of Girlfriends. I really want you to feel like this show is for you because that's why I'm doing it. I want it to serve your needs. And the best way I can do that is if you let me know what those needs are. So thank you for being here. It means so much to me that you show up and that you listen to what I share and that you send me your thoughts and ideas. I really value your participation, but even more importantly, your presence here at Girlfriends. So thank you for being here. And until next time, enjoy your day and God bless your week.
1: Girlfriends is a Danielle Bean production. Know your worth. Find your joy.